this isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? What do you mean? Did Caesar live here? Um, no. I don't think so. I went to Vegas last weekend. Pretty crazy. Vegas, baby, Vegas! Gentlemen, welcome to Las Vegas. Why don't you give me half the money you were gonna bet? Then we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day. Some guys just can't handle Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 42 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host for our little podcast adventure to what I like to think of as the best city on the planet, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we get rolling for this episode of the show, I want to say a big thanks to my guest from the previous episode, Joseph Kruger of Las Vegas Ghost Tours. I had a great time chatting with Joseph all about Vegas's most haunted spots, both on and off the Strip. If you haven't had a chance to take a listen yet, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and check out episode number 41, Viva Scare Vegas. All right, let's get things started. July 31st, 1969 was a day that changed Las Vegas forever. On that day, Elvis Presley stepped onto the stage at the brand new International Hotel to kick off a four-week engagement in the property's massive new 2,000-seat showroom. In as much as it was a huge gamble for the International Hotel, they were, after all, paying Elvis $100,000 per week, it was also a huge gamble for the king of rock and roll. Elvis hadn't performed live on stage in close to a decade. He was coming off a string of cheesy movies. He hadn't had a hit song on the charts in years, and most critics had dismissed him as being over the hill and washed up. Las Vegas was also in a state of flux at the time. The so-called golden age of Vegas, when the Rat Pack ran the city, was starting to lose its luster. And as it turned out, Elvis came along at just the right time to help create a new kind of Vegas show what would eventually be known as The Residency. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Richard Zoglin, author of the book Elvis in Vegas, How the King Reinvented the Las Vegas Show. Richard and I talked about Elvis's first appearance in Las Vegas back in 1956, the leisure time that Elvis enjoyed spending in Las Vegas, what led him to making the decision to take on multiple residency shows at the International, which would later become the Hilton, as well as the effect that Elvis had on Vegas, from the doors he opened for future entertainers to the presence that he still has in the city. Please enjoy my conversation with Richard Zoglin. First off, Richard, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to chat today. I really do appreciate it. Great to be here. So the book, Elvis in Vegas, How the King Reinvented the Las Vegas Show. This is a, a, a really nice, in-depth look into the world of Elvis in Vegas. How long did it take to put something like this together? It was about a couple, a couple of years, not an extremely long time. I was actually... Uh, motivated to try to make a deadline that I, I imposed on myself, which was to come out uh, around the time of the 50th anniversary of Elvis's big comeback show in August of 69. So we came out uh, in the late July uh, of this year on the 50th anniversary. So you made it. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> but that was a big incentive uh, to keep pushing myself. And and this, as I say, this really is the first in-depth look into Elvis in Las Vegas. 
Why do you think it took so long for a book like this to come out? I think, you know, people have sort of noted before that uh, Elvis, uh, you made his big comeback in Las Vegas. Vegas is what revitalizes his career. And people have looked at Elvis's Vegas years before, but nobody has really looked at what what Elvis did for Vegas. Uh, you know, the, the whole history of Vegas entertainment has is, is not really been done before. I think I have done the first really comprehensive look at the evolution of the Vegas show. And I think Elvis uh, is a major turning point in the Las Vegas show. I think he, he changed Vegas entertainment. Before Elvis, it was mostly sort of intimate nightclub kind of shows, the sort of thing that Sinatra and the Rat Pack did. And Elvis brought the first, uh, he was in a, a, a new showroom twice as big as any other showroom in Las Vegas. It wasn't really an intimate nightclub show. It was a, a big rock concert-like extravaganza. And that kind of opened the door to a new kind of Vegas show, those big production, big productions, you know, that, you know later Cher and, and Dolly Parton and now and Celine Dion. So uh, I think it was, uh, that was a, a, a real turning point for Vegas. And I think I wanted to people to recognize how important uh, Elvis was for Las Vegas. I've watched some of your other interviews and read some of the other interviews you've done about the book. And you had mentioned in these other interviews that you didn't really set out initially to write an Elvis book, did you? Yeah, no, I, yeah, th that's right. My, my initial idea was to write a kind of history, the, the golden age of Vegas entertainment, but focusing on the 60s from the Rat Pack to Elvis. The Rat Pack show was in 1960, and Elvis, of course, was 69, perfectly brackets the decade, and that was, I think, the, the real heyday years of the Vegas show. Uh, but I kind of, as I went along, I discovered that Elvis had all these connections with Vegas that I didn't really know about. I didn't realize that he first played Vegas in 1956. He didn't do very well. He was first coming up. He was a young rock and roller from Memphis. And the Vegas uh, nightclub crowd didn't know what to make of him. But then Elvis, you know, really loved Vegas. And he came back. There was his famous, favorite getaway. He would go there after movie shoots. He, of course, made Viva Las Vegas there, which became the iconic Vegas film. He uh, married Priscilla there at the Aladdin Hotel in 1967. And so... Uh, when it came time for his big comeback to live performing after an, almost an entire decade of not doing any live stage performing, you know, Vegas was kind of a natural place for him, even though it was kind of surprising to people who had been following Elvis that he would choose Las Vegas, but he had a real connection with Las Vegas. Some of my favorite stories in the book are in regards to Elvis's connection with Las Vegas as well, and some of the unexpected friendships that he made when he was in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, the main one that you're probably getting toward is uh, in 1956 when he wasn't doing very well in Las Vegas. Liberace was uh, a big Vegas star at the time. Colonel Parker went over to the Riviera Hotel uh, where Liberace was playing and said, you know, uh, my boy uh, Elvis isn't doing so well. It would really help if you came over and, and helped him out a little, saw his show take some publicity shots with him, which Liberace did. Liberace was a, a very generous performer. And and he gave Elvis one piece of advice. He said, I think your show needs more glitz. Well, <laughs> you know, Elvis was affected by that. And, and you can see Elvis really um, admired uh, Liberace as a showman. And pretty soon he was wearing gold lame suits, the kind of that, El that uh, Liberace was wearing in Vegas. And of course, in later years, those those uh, flamboyant uh, white jumpsuits, 
I think that you can see at Liberace's influence on uh, Elvis. And the two were friendly. They were friendly throughout their career. So uh, that is an unexpected sort of connection that uh, Elvis has to Las Vegas. And I loved how Elvis just seemed to randomly pop up in places in Vegas, too. One of my other favorite stories in there was him showing up at Righteous Brothers shows. Yeah, well, that was after he made his big comeback show. And he, uh, he still loved going to shows. You know, he would come to Vegas and just go see lounge shows. He liked seeing performers that he admired and um, was just a big fan of the Vegas show. Well, when he was appearing in the main room at the International Hotel, the Righteous Brothers were in the lounge uh, doing their show. Elvis would walk by, and uh, a couple of nights, he went, went on stage just unannounced and uh, uh, joined Bill Medley on stage. And obviously, that was a, a, a big deal for fans. And the minute word got around that Elvis was walking in on the Righteous Brothers show, uh, suddenly the Righteous Brothers shows were sold out. My my favorite my favorite part of that story was Bill Medley's reaction down the road. I don't know who that guy is, but he's really starting to yeah. piss me off. Yeah. <laughs> the second night that Elvis came in, that was his line. It was it was very funny. That just cracked me right up. Um, Elvis's first appearance, we talked briefly about it, 1956. Those shows, they did not do well. Why, why do you think that was? Was it just a case of Vegas wasn't ready for Elvis or Elvis wasn't ready for Vegas, a combination of the two? What do you think well, that was? You know, this was 56 when rock and roll was still very new and what's considered teenage music. And then, you know, in Vegas, you had a crowd of gamblers, uh, mostly middle-aged nightclub goers, and this kid shaking his hips on stage. And this was before he even did the Ed Sullivan show. So he was starting to get attention. He had a hit song, Heartbreak Hotel, but he had not, you know, kind of gotten the cultural uh, um, visibility that he would have just a few months later. So this was something brand new for Las Vegas, and it uh, it just wasn't in the genre of, of traditional nightclub entertainment. So, you know, they just didn't know what to make of him and the reviews weren't even that good. No, that was, that was really the interesting part is people just really, they, they kind of crapped all over him, didn't they? Yeah. Well, you know, he was, this was something new. I mean, imagine if you remember, or you know, read about back then Elvis was causing almost riots, uh, you know, in live performing around the country, around the South and when he went on uh, TV and shaking his hips, it was considered salacious and, and a, a bad thing for teenagers to watch. And when he went on Ed Sullivan, they shot him only from the waist up. So in Las Vegas, even though Las Vegas was a, a little, you know, a hipper town, I mean, they, people knew uh, what was going on. And <laughs> But uh, still, um, a young rock and roller like that was something new and uh, not, you know, just not part of the tradition of the nightclub tradition. And the Rat Pack members, uh, particularly Frank Sinatra, they were not big fans of Elvis. Yeah. Uh, Frank Sinatra in the fifties, when rock and roll came up, they, they started to threaten, you know, Frank Sinatra was the hot young singer back in the forties and early fifties. And, and now here the, this whole rock and roll revolution and, and Sinatra wrote a famous piece uh, article for a French magazine where he really badmouthed rock and roll, not Elvis specifically, but rock and roll, which he thought was just bad for kids and, and bad music. And it was, and Elvis, Elvis did take it personally. And, uh, I think Frank kind of came around when Elvis came back from 
the army in 1960 after two years away. His comeback was, of course, a big deal, his return from the army. And sure enough, it was Frank Sinatra that got him as, as a guest on his ABC variety show to make his first uh, TV appearance after his, uh, his stint in the army. So Sinatra, I think he may not still have been totally sold on rock and roll, but he, he knew what drew ratings and he knew that Elvis would be a big draw, which he was. Reading about that, that special that Frank Sinatra put together, though, I, I found it interesting the way it was sort of billed as an Elvis comeback special, but Frank really still kept the spotlight on himself, didn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. He had, uh, some of the Rat Packers on the show with him, uh, Sammy Davis and, and, uh, Joey Bishop. Uh, it was, it was clearly Frank's special and Elvis actually was only on for about 10 or 12 minutes. And, but you know, he was the big draw, but I think it was a way for Frank Sinatra to say, you know, just to, to remind people that I'm the big dog here. These, this, this guy might be a little flash in the pan and I, I recognize how popular he is, but I'm still the, you know, the king of, of show business. The almost decade that Elvis took between live performances, as you know, you said earlier, he, he didn't perform between was basically 1960 to 69. And then of course he had that time away in the army. Do you think that was his choice or do you think that a lot of that was, uh, was Colonel Tom's influence? Because I kind of got the impression from reading that, that Colonel Tom Parker was very, controlling of Elvis was that a protection thing or was that just him being a controlling manager do you think well I think it was he was a controlling manager but I think it was a show business decision he felt that rock and roll that Elvis had to sort of grow out of rock and roll at that time you know people didn't think that rock and roll was really going to last necessarily or be uh, any more than you know uh, music for kids so the whole idea, and a lot of other rock and rollers uh, thought this too, that, you know, once they grew out of it or, you know, grew into their late 20s and 30s, they had to sort of change and do something else if they wanted to have a long running career. And so Elvis had already made some movies and they had made a lot of money. So uh, the colonel decided that Elvis would just become a movie star. And I think the uh, he a lot of his motivation was to keep, you know, access to Elvis very limited. So he didn't want, they want, he wanted people to pay to see his movies. He didn't want them to be able to pay to see him on stage live. He would do recordings and he would do movies and that was it. Now Elvis went along with it. I think he, he looked up to the Colonel. The Colonel was, um, of course, instrumental in, in his great success in 1955, 56, when he became the hottest thing in, uh, in music and changed the culture. Uh, so I think he trusted the colonel and he went along with it until, you know, later in the 60s when Elvis's career was on the downswing and the movies weren't doing quite so well anymore and the, the songs he was recording were not making the charts and Elvis was bored to death with those movies and he knew they weren't very good and they didn't uh, satisfy his urge to be a real actor. And so he, he wanted out of it, but the colonel was... He kind of went for the easy money, I think, and he kept signing new new uh, film contracts until finally, near the end of the 60s, it was clear that the movies, even the movies weren't making much money anymore. And so um, that's when the colonel decided that at least he would make his comeback to performing on the big NBC uh, comeback special in late in December 1968. That was the special that brought Elvis back 
to the attention of, of the world, the rock world and everybody else. Did great in the ratings, did great in the, uh, among the critics. And so right after that, that's when the colonel decided, okay, now's the time to return to live performing. And he made the deal to come back to Las Vegas. And he, you know, for, for all of his faults as well, Colonel Tom Parker was really brilliant the way he, he marketed Elvis. I mean, I, one of my, the interesting things I found in the book was when, you know, they said the shows were sold out and when the show sold out, he put up more marketing material. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he, first of all, he blanketed Las Vegas with the kind of publicity that no other show had even come close to. I mean, the anticipation for Elvis's big comeback in Las Vegas was, uh, so great. Uh, he bought up every billboard in town, uh, put Elvis's name on it, you know, a, a taxi cab tops and bus stops, radio ads. And so he really made it an event. They invited all the um, rock critics and rock reporters from around the country. And so he, he really made that Vegas show an event like no other Vegas show had ever been. And he changed the way uh, Las Vegas, you know, marketed its its shows after that. You know, they tried, they, you know, other people tried to make their Vegas shows a, a big event, people like Cher and uh, Dolly Parton. So, uh, anyway, so yeah, Colonel was a, a, a great marketer and uh, he, he made that Vegas show a big, a big event. And, uh, and that, you know, is what catapulted Elvis back on, into, the, uh, into the conversation as a rock and roll performer. And he was smart, too, in that he didn't have Elvis actually open that showroom. Yeah. Uh, when the International Hotel, Kirk Kikorian was finishing the International Hotel, the biggest hotel in Las Vegas, and he wanted the biggest acts in, in show business to open the hotel. And they went to, um, to Colonel Parker and, so, you know, to, to see if Elvis would do it. And the colonel was, was ready, and they made a deal pretty fast, but Colonel only said he had one uh, problem. He did not want Elvis to open the hotel. The hotel was still being finished. The colonel was worried that uh, there might be technical glitches. The sound system might not be all, all ready to go or whatever. And he said, let somebody else open the hotel. Let somebody else be the guinea pig. We'll come in second. And so that's when the, the International Hotel went to their backup choice, who was uh, Barbara Streisand. And she opened the hotel four weeks in July of 1969, followed by Elvis Presley. And when Elvis hit the International in 69, rock and roll in Vegas really wasn't a thing either. I mean, we talked a little earlier about everybody kind of thinking, you know, rock and roll wasn't going to last and it wasn't a thing. And by the time El Elvis was in his 30s when he hit in Vegas in 69, was he 34? Yeah. And so really rock and roll wasn't paying attention to Las Vegas at all. The rock world kind of looked at Vegas as a bit of a joke, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Vegas was kind of resistant to rock and roll at the beginning. And then as they saw the Beatles come along and the whole rock revolution of the late sixties, I think they wanted rock and roll and they did, they get, they got some rock acts or at least R and B acts to play the lounges. But the idea of a rock and roll show on the big Vegas stage um, was kind of unheard of. The uh, the big rock groups obviously were not playing Vegas. It just was it was uh, you know a town for old people. They felt, uh, but you know Elvis was a kind of a nice way for Vegas to sort of get into the rock world. He he was certainly rock and roll. He was the original rock and roller. But he was 
he was, uh, you know, evolving and maturing into a performer who he, he wanted to sing to everybody. He was doing the big ballads and the suspicious minds and um, old songs, uh, you know, the um, old, you know, Tin Pan Alley uh, songs. He was doing, um, you know, a whole range of stuff. He was doing gospel. He was doing country. So he showed that a, a lot more could work on the big Vegas stage than the traditional um, show tunes and, and the, the kind of uh, pop songs that, that the traditionalists, the Sinatras and Tony Bennett's were singing. Four weeks straight, nonstop, two shows a week in that first run. What kind of toll do you think that took on on Elvis? I mean, I have friends that work in Vegas that, that perform and you know, they're doing four shows a week and going crazy. I can't imagine the kind of toll that that would take on a, on a performer. Yeah. Two shows a night. Nobody does that anymore. Uh, seven nights a week, not a single night off for four weeks. He was so energized at the beginning. He loved being back in front of his fans. He was excited. He was energized every night. Uh, and I would say for the first year or two, he was, he was still energized. And if you watch those performances, listen to them, watch them in the 1970 concert film, uh, Elvis, That's the Way It Is, you really see what a great performer he was. I think he was, you know, at his peak as a stage performer. But the grind really started to get to him. The, just the sort of sameness of coming back to Vegas. He would come back twice a year for four-week engagements, twice a year. And it was the same thing every time. And he was also touring. So uh, then that was a grind for him. And he just started to, to burn out. And, of course, uh, started to have his physical problems, weight gain, the drugs. Uh, the drug use started to get worse. And the shows got a little more erratic. So, uh, you know, I think you can you not blame Vegas, but uh, you certainly – that contributed to just sort of his 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 boredom and um, you know just a, a, a kind of laziness sort of set in. I think in his performing. The interesting thing about it, though, is that even with the the health issues starting to come up and the weight gain and the boredom, he still sounded amazing. Yeah, I, I listened to I've listened to a lot of recordings all the way through the seventies, even you know as late as seventy four. He he was still, his voice, you know, when he probably wasn't looking so good, I'm listening to it on, you know, on CDs, but uh, he, he sounded great. You could say, well, that voice is still terrific. He said such a great voice. It was so strong. And he um, he didn't burn out. on the, the voice just held up for a long time. So uh, I think it was just the, when you see the energy he had on stage in 69 or 70, and compare it to some of the very late performances where he wasn't moving around very much and he was kind of puffy. It's, it's a little sad, but boy, he could still, he, he, he had that voice to the end. We talked a little bit earlier about the, the effect that Elvis Presley had on Las Vegas and the world of entertainment. He really did change a lot about Vegas, didn't he? Yeah. I think he, um, for one thing, you know, the show brought, rock and roll onto the big main uh, Vegas stage. He brought a new kind of audience to Vegas. Uh, it, the people who came to see him in 69 were, were not, were, they were from around the country. They were old Elvis fans, you know, housewives that screamed for him when they were teenagers. Uh, they brought, sometimes they brought the whole family and it was a much more middle American crowd. 
not the high rollers necessarily that came to see Sinatra and the Rat Pack, not maybe people who had even been to Vegas before. Uh, but it was a new crowd, a, a middle American crowd, and that was the audience that Vegas would kind of eventually discover. Oh, and it took a couple of decades, but you know when Vegas went through its own reinvention a little later, where it became um, more of a with the theme park hotels and the Cirque du Soleil shows, so it became a much more of a family vacation destination. And I think Elvis kind of opened the door to that change. And he really opened the door as well to these modern day Vegas residencies as well. We talked a little bit earlier about, you know, Celine Dion and Cher and the Coliseum at Caesars and, and places like that. None of that would have happened if it wasn't for Elvis. No, I don't think so. They Elvis showed that, you know, that, that the, a, a show could be a big spectacle and the star could be the spectacle. And so uh, that's why people like Cher and Dolly Parton came in. And, and, but then there was, of course, a period when the, the stars kind of went into eclipse and the, and the production shows took over, the, 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 uh, the Siegfried and Roy type of magic acts, and, uh, the, of course, all the Cirque du Soleil shows with multiplied along the strip. So then, however, in the early 2000s, Celine Dion comes along, with a residency, uh, she was really the first, and she was a, a pioneer too. And then, then you get over the last few years a succession of all these sort of rock pop performers, like you know, from Jennifer Lopez, Elton John, uh, down through now Lady Gaga and and Aerosmith. Uh, Sting is going to be playing Vegas in in the spring, and so I think you're having a little bit of a revival of the big star headliner shows. And I think they're all, they all owe a debt to Elvis Presley, who kind of opened the way to those kind of shows. Do you find the, uh, the Vegas folks are sort of playing a little fast and loose with the, the term residency now? Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what residency means. Elvis didn't use it. Of course, it wasn't a term back then. I think it was Celine Dion and Celine really did have a residency where she would appear, you know, often, I, I can't remember exactly what her schedule was, but, you know, several weeks here, she would stop, she would come back a few weeks later. Uh, so over the course of the year, she would play a number of weeks at Caesars Palace. Now, um, the some of the performers are coming much more infrequently. Um, Lady Gaga actually is, do, is there quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, but, but uh, some of the others maybe will just be there for maybe a couple of weeks, uh, twice a year, something like that. So I'm not sure if that's a residency or that's a guest appearance. So yeah, I'm not sure what, what, what exactly the definition of a residency is. Elvis, he's really, I mean, he's all over Vegas now. You can't go anywhere without seeing something Elvis related. Why do you think that connection between Elvis and Las Vegas has endured. There's really no other performer that has that that same connection or same in, endurance, is there? I yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. I have a great answer for that question. He was he was the biggest Vegas star for a while there in a period when Vegas was kind of starting to wane in importance. He was the in the 70s was kind of Vegas's you know at the point where Vegas, people thought of Vegas as a little bit kitschy and not you know, not hip anymore, but Elvis, Elvis kept that town going for a lot of years. So I think Vegas owed a lot to him. 
then when he when he that sudden death you know the tragic uh you know death of uh, elvis was so shocking to to vegas i think they wanted to keep alive the memory of the 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 guy who really saved the town and so also the fact that he was easy to imitate you know uh put on a black wig and a white jumpsuit and you're elvis so <laughs> so uh, i i guess you know there was a little bit uh, of a you know, kitschy tongue in cheek aspect to it, but uh, also the the wedding chapels. I mean, people wanted to connect with Elvis. They wanted to connect with that sort of over the top uh, showmanship. And uh, so, you know, it's a, it's just he just became the iconic Vegas celebrity, and it's it's there to this day. Well, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat about this book. We have just barely scratched the surface on this uh the book is called elvis in vegas how the king reinvented the las vegas show people need to get their hands on this book and and read it if you're a vegas fan if you're an elvis fan you're gonna absolutely love it so again thank you so much richard for uh, for taking the time today well thanks for having me it's a lot of fun If you want to get your hands on your own copy of Elvis in Vegas, How the King Reinvented the Las Vegas Show, you can head to Richard's website at richardzoglin.com or find it at your favorite bookseller. And that wraps up yet another episode of the podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you're after suggestions for your next Las Vegas vacation of where to stay, where to eat, what to do, or what to see, or you've got ideas for topics that you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please reach out to me via Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at JeffDoesVegas, or drop me an email directly at Jeff at WalkerNewMedia.com. As for my next Vegas trip, it's approaching quickly. I'm going to be in town November 17th to 20th. I'm booked into an ultra hip room at Planet Hollywood, which I'm looking forward to since I've never stayed there before. So I'm excited to review that property in an upcoming episode of the podcast. I'm lining up a few new restaurants and attractions to check out. And I've also got a few irons in the fire interview wise for future episodes of the show as well. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. Make sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 42 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast, a Walker New Media production. Oh,